Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you missed it, you truly missed out. We are going to praise what God has done through this church in the lives of our graduating seniors at the end of our service. We all have reason to praise our Lord and Savior. But I know the reality. Sometimes we get busy. We get distracted. We forget to sing and shout His praises. Sometimes we forget why we should praise His name. I hope that already this morning you have praised the King of Kings. I pray as we look at His Word this morning that you realize and are reminded of the importance of praise in your life and in the life of the church. You and I have been called to praise. And today, we are going to look at that calling in Psalm 145. So if you would please stand in the honoring of the reading of God's Word, we will be reading Psalm 145, verses 1 through 7. This is David, and he says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the mighty works of your awesome deeds And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today and just ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would help us to understand this calling you have placed on our lives to praise your name. Lord, how that calling affects us, how it affects us as generation and how it affects us as a family. Lord, may you be honored and glorified by our worship today. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 145, in its simplest form, is a psalm of praise. You saw it in these seven verses. There were 11 references to praise in a variety of ways. In writing this psalm, David uses the words such as extol, bless, praise, commend, declare, speak, pour forth, and sing to communicate the importance of praising our God and King. So in looking at David's call to praise, we're going to see how this impacts us in three ways. It impacts us as an individual. It impacts us as different generations, and it impacts the family. The first thing we're going to look at is the individual calling that David lays before us. And let us take a moment just to investigate this call to praise for us. In this verse, or in these verses, we're going to see reasons for praise. 
We're going to see when to praise and we're going to see the why behind the praise. For many of you, this will be a refresher. But some of you, this may be new for the first time that you truly understand what it means to praise God. David begins by sharing two reasons for praise in the first verse. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. He expresses a personal relationship with God. He uses a little word, my. That little word, my, speaks volumes about the relationship between the Creator and His creation. That word, my, exudes an intimate knowledge that David has of his God and of his king. And because of that intimacy, he praises him. It's a knowledge that David has gained by spending time with the creator and a knowledge that was gained through the evidence of God constantly showing up in David's life. And when God shows up, he reveals himself in so many ways. You could think back on David and you could think of the times that God showed up from Goliath to Bathsheba, from the transformation from a shepherd boy to a king. God revealed his love, his mercy, his compassion, and his grace to David. And David's response to knowing God's character was to praise him. So I ask you, church, do you know God like this? How would you describe your relationship with the King of Kings? Are you like David and your default response to God's presence in your life is to praise Him? Because your personal relationship with the Creator should compel you to praise His holy name. So David tells us, I praise him because I have this intimate relationship, but he also praises him because of the permanence of who God is. He says in verse one, I will bless your name forever and ever. He says he will praise God because God will rule over his creation for all time. God will care for and provide for his creation. This description of God's power, his love, over David's life, call him to praise. Because David knows God is permanent, God is forever, this is his natural response. You know, as we talk about uh, recognizing our seniors in a moment, many of you can probably relate to something they are struggling with, or they're not struggling with anymore because they're actually done. But over the past couple of months, they've struggled with something called senioritis. Uh, Do you remember what that was like? Right? The last couple of weeks of school, you're ready to be done. They're kind of looking to the future. They're not as committed to their education as they once were. Because there's not a permanence to where they're at. They're about to go into a new chapter of life. The reason I point that out to you is not to mess with the seniors, although that's a lot of fun, but rather to say, I hope that we don't have that when it comes to God. That our praise of him is temporary because God is permanent. As a matter of fact, God is fully committed to his creation. We know that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 
that the covenant that he made with us, he will complete. And we know that David is committed to his creator. We should follow that example. The call to praise is a call to commitment. Not for a moment, not for a season, but for a lifetime. You can see this even more clearly in verse 2 where Davis tells us when we should praise God. Look what verse 2 says again. It says, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. David says, I will praise you every day and for all of eternity. There is no end to praising his name. So we should praise God daily and with a mindset that it will be forever. We should do this because daily we are reminded of God's new morning mercies. You know the verse from Lamentations chapter 3. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And because God is eternal, we should praise him and worship him every day and every moment of our life. You see, praising God daily and for eternity is what we were created to do. You never outgrow the praising of God. You don't move on to something else. In fact, we should grow in our praise of him as we mature spiritually. This process of sanctification, where we become more and more like Christ, should increase our praise of him. Our sanctification is actually preparing us for heaven, where we will sing praises to his name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will praise him for eternity. So we have reason to praise. We know when to praise. Now we're going to look at what we are truly praising. David tells us we are called to praise God because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy because of his position. He is worthy because of his character. And he is worthy because of the work that he has done. His position is in verse 1, as God and King. He is supreme. He is the authority over our life. And because of that position of authority, we are called to submit. And we submit by praising His name. We see other examples of His character throughout these verses. Look at verse 3. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. This verse simply says, the Lord is great and his greatness is unsearchable. That word great may not be easy for you to define in your mind. Because sometimes we use that word great to describe someone's kindergarten art. Or maybe we use it to describe the newest iPhone. Uh, That word great can be subjective. But David helps us. He helps us by describing that word as unsearchable. Unsearchable could also mean his greatness cannot be measured. 
or maybe it cannot be fathomed. What David is trying to communicate here is that God's greatness is beyond our full comprehension. So here's what I want you to do. Just for a moment, think of the greatest thing you have ever experienced. Capture it in your mind. And then just know that whatever you're thinking about does not even come close to comparing to God's greatness. But even though God's greatness is unsearchable, it's unknowable, that did not intimidate David. It didn't cause David to go, well, I'm not going to stop searching and trying to figure it out. Rather, David was challenged to continually seek to understand the greatness of God. He wanted to know it more fully. And the more he saw it, the more he understood God's greatness, the more he felt called to praise. David also describes God's character with words such as glorious splendor of your majesty, fame of your abundant goodness. He talks about God's righteousness in these verses. He wants us to know that God's character is worthy of our praise. Do you know God in this way? The description of God's character proves He's worthy of praise and should motivate us to answer the call that is in place on our lives. And as if His position and His character were not enough, and there were need for more evidence of why we should praise Him, David talks of God's works. See it there in verse 4. It says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I can imagine David, as he says these words, works and mighty acts, he is thinking about the stories of God from creation to the flood. Stories of Abraham and Moses and stories of his own life where God blessed him, protected him, comforted him, and shepherd him. David further describes God's work in the passage as wondrous works and awesome deeds. So again, take just a moment and think about what are some of the things you have experienced in your life of God being at work. Just take a moment What are some reasons you should praise God? They could be small moments. It could be just the fact that you are alive today. Or it could be big moments when there was a trial that you didn't think you would make it through and God provided a miraculous answer. The reason I want you to think about that and the reason I think David is telling us about God's marvelous works is because I don't want us to be a church that forsakes them. Or to take them for granted. Much more, I don't want us to miss God's involvement in our life. And I don't want us to miss an opportunity to praise Him. So you see here that there is a call for us to praise Him as individuals. David tells us when and how and what that looks like. But I think there's also a call to praise Him as a generation. Did you know 
that in our church there are at least six different generations, possibly seven, from the greatest generation to the silent generation. You also have boomers and Gen X. You have Generation Y or what we call millennials. You have Generation Z. And you have the newest generation, Generation Alpha. Now, I've done a little bit of studying on these and a little bit of research. And what I found out and what the experts say is that each of these generations has experienced life differently because of the circumstances in which they have lived. The time in which they lived was different than other times. These different generations look at and see the world differently than each other. They look at faith and the church differently than one another. Their relationship with Christ is different because of, because of time, experiences, and the way God reveals himself. The great thing about these differences are they are something that we should celebrate and share with one another. Our differences should bring us together in unity. But sadly, for many, these differences often cause division in the church. But our unique, different, and even our shared experiences should enable us to support and encourage one another in our individual faith journeys. See the command there in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts. David is telling us a generation is called to talk and share about the reasons for praise that we have just discussed. They're called to talk about it with great excitement. They're called to talk about God's character and his works. Think about a church that could not help but passionately tell each other about how God has showed up in their lives and how they have experienced God's love and faithfulness and grace on a daily basis. You may be asking, why is it important for one generation to share with another? How do we go about praising God one to another? You may be asking, well, does First Baptist Belton, do we do this? If we do, can we get better at it? And I hope those are questions that you're thinking about. The reason we need to do that is because if we want to pass down our faith through praise, then we have to make sure that we are growing in our own faith. That we as individuals are praising God constantly and consistently. We must spend time with Him. And as that time leads to spiritual maturity then we're going to see opportunity after opportunity to pass down our faith to the next generation. Because we will see God at work in us and around us. So how do we do this? Well, the how is simple. We talk about it. We tell it. We share it. We simply talk about how we praise God in our lives our reasons for praising God. The hope is that you are teaching a new generation of how to praise the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What you're doing by passing down your faith is you're helping a generation to grow in their faith. 
in a much faster pace so that they can go farther than we ever have in our faith. So that they can stand on our shoulders and make a difference in this world that we've never seen before. For generations to do this, we need to build relationships among one another. And you know, relationships, they take time. There needs to be some intentionality when it comes to building these relationships. And some of you may be tuning me out right now. You may be saying, nope, that's not me. That's a daunting task. Some of you may be thinking, how can I relate to a young person? I don't know anything about Snapchat or TikTok or the culture they live in. Or maybe you're a younger person and you're wondering, how can I relate to someone who is retired, has great grandkids, and listen to music on records and eight tracks? As a youth minister, I hear a lot of reasons of why people can't relate to teenagers. And the truth is, you may not have much in common with them. But you do have Jesus. And Jesus is more than enough to be a starting point. And as a matter of fact, he can carry the whole conversation. He can carry the whole relationship. Making much of Jesus should be easy amongst believers. I want to read something from 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 5. It reinforces this idea of one generation to the next. This is what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. It says, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Listen to what it says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. But rather, what does it say? Being examples to the flock. So you can see in this passage that it says, Hey, if you're spiritually mature, if you're a leader in your church, you should be shepherding and being an example for those that aren't as far along in their faith. Now, young people, you don't get off easy. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. After reading this passage, the decision for believers to build intergenerational relationships is not optional. You don't get to go, well, I don't want to do that. That's not my calling. Scripture says you are called to build relationships, to shepherd, to teach, to guide. And young people, you're called to seek them out. It clearly states that there's a relationship between generations. And each generation should seek out the other to teach and to learn from. This leads us to the why we should praise God from one generation to another. The why is really simple. It's basic. It's commanded. 
We are called to be obedient. And this obedience is a part of our discipleship. As we faithfully share our praise of God, we grow in our faith. We are reminded of the many times God has been at work in our lives. And as we share our stories with younger believers, they will be encouraged in their faith. They will learn from our experiences. But there's a mutual mentoring that can take place as different generations in different stages of faith share their experiences to God. You see, all generations have something to offer to the building up of the body of Christ. Mature believers, you can share your trials, your failures, your successes, and joy. And in sharing their faith, they help young believers to see the impossible, or excuse me, to see the possible in impossible situations. They can give younger believers a roadmap to faith that helps them to avoid some of the landmines of life. These experiences would would provide encouragement and support. But younger believers, when you share your faith, when you share your excitement about the possibilities of a walk with God, when you talk about the hope that you have in Christ, this can fan the flames of faith And bring a renewed hope and an excitement to a generation that has long walked with Christ. But they may feel tired and at times defeated. If you haven't talked to a young person about their faith and see the excitement when they learn new things about God's grace and love. When they realize they're giving everything up to follow the Savior It's so amazing. I challenge you to do that. It will encourage you. It will excite you in your own faith. So a church that is not only multi-generational, but also intergenerational, they're building relationships among one another. What they're doing is they're focused on strengthening both one another and the body, the body of Christ. And these relationships that are built across generations can bring about a unity that focuses not on what we have different about us, but rather what we have in common in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the hope that we have in Him. And our differences will strengthen us. It will bring about unity. To borrow from last week, I hope that this passage will provoke you to engage with different generations. And you do it as an act of praise. Because we, as the body of Christ, are called to praise. Encouraging and strengthening one another. So this call to praise is for an individual. It's for a generation. But what does it have to do with the family? This series is called Family Matters. And our church family is made up of many generations. And when those generations come together in unity as the body of Christ to praise God, the church is strengthened. And when the church is strengthened, families are strengthened. I have one more passage I'd like to read for you. It's Psalm 78. Psalm 78. This is going to be 
verses 5 through 8, if you want to turn there. And this is really a passage that speaks to the families. Psalm 78, verse 5 says this. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This passage places the responsibility for spiritual discipleship on the parents. This passage teaches that the children are to be taught to know and praise and follow God. It teaches that we should pass down our faith to the next generation. It teaches our children to praise God. And this is a huge responsibility for parents. But it is not something they are called to journey alone. Parenting is hard. Many of you could testify to that today. It seems just as you start to figure something out as a parent, they throw puberty at you. And your teenager or your child that you thought you understood and you knew how to handle becomes a totally different person. Parents need help. They need support in raising their children. And they really need it when it comes to discipleship and investing in their children spiritually. If only there was a place where parents could turn when parenting got hard. When they were feeling tired, hopeless, and overwhelmed. A place they could go when they felt like a failure as a parent. When they felt like they were the only one with the kid that wouldn't behave. Or that there was a, or they were the only parent that had a kid that was struggling with life. A place where they could be talked off the ledge. They could be encouraged. They would, could be given wisdom on kids and on parenting. That had been gained from experience. Do you church know of such a place? What if that place was First Baptist Belton? A place parents felt they could go and be supported and encouraged. Well, you know here at First Baptist Belton, we do that. As a church, we seek to help strengthen and encourage families. And here are a few ways that I believe we as a church are called to train children to praise God. Number one, we have to hold parents accountable to discipleship. We cannot let them forsake this calling. How do we do that? We ask them how it's going. We love them and encourage them in their struggle to parent. We share our successes and failures in discipling our own kids. We give them some of the cheat sheet, right? Some of the answers that we've learned through failure, through our experiences. We help them to see that even though discipleship is difficult, that it's more than worth it. So we hold them accountable. The second thing we do is we partner with parents. 
At First Baptist Belton, we do that through the youth and children's ministry. We invest in students. We do that through programming, but we also do it by recruiting adults with different spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities to love and pour into the lives of students. Many of you here today are rich resources that could radically transform the lives of students simply by sharing your spiritual journey, simply by praising God's work in your life to this generation. You see, there's children and students in our ministries that you can connect with and speak truth to in a way that I cannot, in a way that Mr. Eddie cannot. You could be a person to pour in and invest in their lives. Do you think a parent would appreciate a spiritually mature believer coming to them and saying, Hey, you know what? I have some free time on my hands. Would you mind if I invested in your son or daughter spiritually? Do you think that would impact and help a student? Do you think that might strengthen our families? If spiritually mature believers were intentional about partnering with parents. Lastly, we must invest in parents. We have to help them grow spiritually. We have to encourage them in parenting. We have to help them understand their kids. If parents are to be spiritual leaders of their families, we must continue to invest in them spiritually. And we do that. We do that through Sunday school. We do that through special events. We have to give them tools to disciple their children. Giving them discipleship material and information on understanding kids and how they develop and how they grow spiritually. You see, parenting is hard and often a lonely job. But imagine if you came alongside a parent and invested in them, shared your struggles, your victories, and helped them to avoid some parenting landmines that tripped you up. You walk beside them so that they did not feel alone, but rather encouraged and filled with hope. I think there are a lot of parents that struggle with feelings of failure, believing that they're the only parent that's still trying to figure it out, that they're the only parent that struggles to raise their kids. They often feel embarrassed to admit their struggles and ask for help. If the church invests in parents, we can defeat the lies that the world is telling parents and we can strengthen the family. Church, there is so much that we can do to help the family. And if family matters, then we need to hold parents accountable. We need to partner with them and invest in them. This psalm calls us to praise. This call to praise is asking something from you as an individual, as a generation, and as a family. My question to you today is, will you answer the call? As we come to our time of response, to respond to what God has placed on your heart what he has spoken to you today. 
I hope that you will respond to this call to praise. Hopefully, as you entered today, you received a heart. Many of you are wondering, what is this for? Well, I have a challenge for you. As we sing praises to God in our time of response, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about three things that you can praise God for. Three things and write them down. I want you to write three specific things God has done in your life that he is worthy of praise. I don't, I don't want you just to praise him because he is worthy of praise. I want you to praise him for something he's done specifically in your life. And I want you to write it down. That should be simple enough. Then here is your challenge. I want you to take that heart. And I want you to share it with one person not in your generation. I want you to start practicing sharing your praise to one another. Remember what Psalm 145 says. One generation shall commend your acts to another and shall declare your mighty works on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. That's the kind of church I hope we will be that lives out Psalm 145. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you love us and that you have called us to praise. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that takes this psalm to heart. Lord, that we don't only know it, but we live it out. Lord, and as we live it out, we are just compelled to praise you individually. We are compelled to praise you from one generation to another. We are compelled to praise you as a family. Lord, I pray that as we come to this time of response, Lord, if there is anyone in this room that does not have this personal relationship with you, that they don't really understand the reason to praise, that today might be that day. Lord, we praise your name because you are worthy. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. We are coming to our time of response. And maybe you've heard this sermon today and you say, I, I've never known God in that way. I've never known him as a God to praise. But today, he's placed on your heart that he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. I'm going to be down at the front. Some of our ministers will be down here. If you want to come and talk about that, we would love to share with you our reason to praise. I also encourage you, if you want to just come to the altar and pray that we will be a church that lives out Psalm 145. It will be open for you today. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.